This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, we are talking to a partner that we've not had on the AmbaCast yet. I am pleased to welcome Dr. Patricia Hendren, the Executive Director of the Eastern Transportation Coalition, who I've known long enough that I could say Trish. Hello, Trish. Welcome to the AmbaCast. Hello. Thank you for having me as a guest today. I uh, Let's talk first. There's a couple of specific topics I want to focus on, but not a lot of folks may know what the Eastern Transportation Coalition is. They may know it by its previous name, so that might be a good jumping off point. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who is the coalition and the primary reason the coalition exists? Sure. So we were formed, uh, believe it or not, over 27 years ago, and we're a partnership of about 200 plus public agencies and it really is the 17 states along the eastern side of our country, so Maine to Florida, but also including Tennessee, Kentucky, and Alabama. And we were formerly known as the I-95 Quarter Coalition. Mm-hmm. And it really is a collection of um, agencies working across modes and jurisdictions. So thank your departments of transportation, transportation authorities, transit and rail agencies, and motor vehicle agencies. And it's really working together because people and those trucks, they move across state lines. So how do we as a group of states work together to ensure that people and goods are moving safely and efficiently? So we changed our name from mm-hmm. I-95 Quarter Coalition because we actually have never done interstate work. So it was a name that we kind of started out with and it stuck for a while, but I'm glad that our board of directors, who is the DOT CEOs, that they really kind of took a look at the work that we do and said, we actually don't do interstate work. So let's really have a name that reflects who we are, which is really this coalition of states working together. And correct me if I'm wrong, even from a more practical sense, even though most states have a portion of I-95 that runs through them, you have member states that I-95 does not touch. We do. And I always highlight Vermont, who's been a member for many years, and they don't have an inch of I-95 in their states, but they've been a member of the coalition for a while. And you would think, again, you know, again, talk about who we are, but what we do, I think, is important um, to focus in on. A lot of times I I describe the coalition as operations is kind of the heartbeat of the coalition. Mm. And so we look a lot on operational strategies, how to deal across state lines with incident management, think evacuation, think a lot of data. So I should just get that out in the front here that I'm a total uh, data nerd. But I really (laughs) feel if we can bring data together and share across agencies, just our strategies and how effective they are, we can learn from each other and from what the data is telling us. And, you know, why have we stuck around for 27 years? I think it's um, really the practitioner focus that we have and this belief that we're stronger together that we can kind of get in a room together, close the door and have a pretty frank conversation about what's working. And sometimes what's not working, we can learn just as much from. So a lot of operations work, but then we also focus quite a bit on freight. That's kind of our second real Mm. main area. And again, with uh, the truck corridors that we have in our region, we're about 
40% of our gross national product. So it's really a gross domestic product. It is really an important economic engine of our country. So making sure we have the freight industry at the table when we're talking about um, their safety issues and operational challenges. And then our third area of focus is on innovation. And I think um, across all these areas, we've worked with AMVA. But I think more recently, it's in that innovation area where we're looking at um, what are kind of new things coming into our field. Uh, right now, we're focused a lot on how we pay for transportation, hmm. looking at distance-based fees, tolling reciprocity. And also, we have a lot of electric vehicles coming on. So we do a lot, um, which makes it a really exciting place to be and a place to really kind of tackle hard issues together. Well, let's talk about those last three issues you mentioned seem to be the biggest overlap. Now, I certainly imagine your board being uh, primarily DOT directors, and you mentioned operations, incident management, freight. Um, that's a lot of the, what we'd say, the traditional DOT side of the house that maybe DMVs are, are less involved in. Uh, but those three other issues really fit at the nexus of, you know, where agencies, whether a DMV is part of a DOT or separate from a DOT, you know, they have to work work together. Um, I want to start with actually the, the, the second one you mentioned, because it's one I think that maybe is more near and dear to those agencies on the East Coast, which is issues of tolling reciprocity. Um, obviously, you know, not that it's the only place in the country that have tolls, but we know just by the nature of, I don't need to tell you with your member states, the nature of the geography and folks, you know, crossing from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Um, there's a lot of other groups involved in that conversation. There are tolling agencies, toll authorities, some are state run, some are not. Um, there's our sister association at IBTTA. There's the Easy Pass Interagency Group. So tell me the piece that your coalition um, has focused in on and is really trying to move the needle on where it comes to issues around tolling. So many times I've described the work that we do, Ian, is um, like a moth to the flame, that the harder it is, the more we gravitate towards it. <laughs> so what we've been focused on is, I think, one of the, the dirty secrets of tolling, the hardest thing to get to, which is tolling enforcement reciprocity. So mm -hmm. that sounds like a mouthful, but I'll, I'll take myself an example. I'm a Maryland resident, and if I go to our wonderful neighbor state of Virginia and I use their toll roads and then I don't pay my toll, there's actually not that much Virginia can do to me. They'll send me bills, they'll, they'll threaten to send me to a collection agency, but I can walk away because Virginia cannot say to Maryland, take away my license, um, suspend my, my, my registration. So the challenge that we have as a region of states that have a lot of toll facilities and a lot of people moving up and down is, what do we do about that? Mm -hmm. And so that's where we've really engaged. And I think that's where we've engaged also, also with, um, with AMVA. Mm -hmm. Quite a bit. And, you know, why, why are we talking to AMVA about tolling uh, reciprocity? And it comes down to a lot of the, well, I'm going to say it this way, it comes down to the VIN number, right? It comes down, you guys mm. are the owners of the registration. So if we're trying to figure out that, again, using me as an, a bad example, um, how will Virginia find me? Well, they're going to talk to the Maryland Department of, you know, Motor Vehicles. Right. Having AMVA and the motor vehicle entities at the table when we talk about reciprocity solutions has been a real focus of a coalition from the beginning. And I would give my former board chair, so Secretary Cohen from Delaware, credit for that. Mm -hmm. So 
some people in the AMVA community are familiar with her. She was uh, ran the Delaware uh, Motor Vehicle Department before she became secretary. And she really put into my mind the importance of having the DMV again at the table from the beginning of a challenging conversation like tolling reciprocity. And so we've had some great conversations. We've had some great gatherings, like so many other things got put on pause a bit while the world reacted to emergencies. Um, where has the coalition or have you been able to move the, the needle in terms of providing a resource, providing a product, providing a template? Um, you know, a lot in our world in AMBA is about how do we get members together to produce a best practice that folks can choose to follow. Um, have you been able to have any of that type of movement in, in the coalition or is it still too nascent of a early conversation to, to be that far matured? You know, where we shifted, well, let me start where we focused first. Yeah. And I think that's when we had engaged with AMBA and, um, you know, you came to some of these meetings Absolutely. and what we were looking at was reciprocity agreements. So this is yeah. legislation, which we know is really hard. Again, using the Maryland, Virginia example, um, the Maryland governor won't want the big, bad Virginia governor, you know, harming one of its citizens. So it really stops forward progress when you get two states that want to mess with each other's residents. Mm. So what we tried to do in the beginning was say, okay, where is this working? And there's a couple of examples where multiple states have gotten together and has this reciprocity agreement. So we got together as a group of um, agencies, entities, and said, okay, what's working about that? Where's legislation in your state? What, how did you get it passed? Um, and really try to get some best practices there. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge with this topic and why it's not going away is in fact that political challenge. Mm -hmm. So we stepped back and said, okay, do we really want to collect, we as the transportation industry, do we want to collect the fees on those tolls or is it, it's really just about the tolls, right? We just want to get our toll funds. So we shifted and we said, okay, let's make it easier to pay. And we gathered um, best practices from around the country on how agencies are using mobile apps, are using other partners in um, the private sector, as well as homegrown apps to collect the toll. And we really shared those practices to focus on, um, again, lowering the amount of violations from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Where we are now is IBTTA has a task, uh, task force that's focused on this. So we're kind of um, having them take some of the leadership in this area okay. and working with them to move it forward. But I think if I am a crystal ball um, in the next year coming up, I think we want to get back together as a group of Eastern states. Mm -hmm. So partnering with IBTTA is fantastic, but I think we're just a little bit different here on the East Coast. We're a little bit messier, I would say. <laughs> time. So I think it's time for us to get back together now that we can in person and say, okay, where are we with those reciprocity agreements? Mm -hmm. What have we done in the last couple of years? So kind of a little reset on that yeah. focus is where we're going to be going. All right. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, the, the, the tolling piece is what is one piece of that bigger puzzle that you reference, which is the issue of transportation funding and not only possible alternatives to how to fund transportation, but just the overall state of transportation funding. I'm sure it's something that members of your board are super focused on, you know, whether it is future of gas tax revenue, alternative funding mechanisms, where tolling and private public partnerships fit into it, and of course, mileage-based user fees. So I know that's, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing that, you know, you are a 
coalition of many states, but a small but mighty staff. <laughs> How have you been able to take a take a bite of that apple? So I think focusing on the well, the, the apple is our transportation revenue challenge, right? Yeah. We all know that the the fuel tax revenue we're collecting out there is declining because we have more fuel efficient vehicles, which is great. So that basically means, you know, our vehicles going farther on a tank of gas, wonderful for our personal wallets, not so great for those roads and bridges um, that require that fuel tax to stay in existence. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, the introduction, which is a very positive thing of electric vehicles that aren't paying any fuel tax at all. So add in the fact that most of the public don't even know they pay fuel tax. Um, and we kind of got ourselves in a pickle. So mm -hmm. what the what we're trying to do at the coalition is make sure that the, the Eastern perspective, I keep coming back to that because we're mm -hmm. again, a group of very diverse states, but with the economic engine that we represent and the range of operational challenges, we're a good test bed for a national approach. And what happened is Congress released some grants to explore the potential of shifting from a fuel tax based to a distance based approach. Mm -hmm. And so we went after some of those grants again to see what this transition would mean for Eastern states. Uh, again, talking about Marylander driving in Virginia, how would you handle out of state miles? Um, how do you make sure that the motor carrier industry is at the table? with this d discussion. How do we incorporate some of the lessons learned from tolling? And you know, that public that is using our, our roads and bridges, how do we communicate with them and talk to them about the importance of the system and their personal lives and day-to-day -day existence, but then also explain that we have this revenue challenge in a way that can move the conversation forward. So mm -hmm. a lot that we were trying to do and I want to bring it back to motor vehicle um, departments and really the foundation of any distance based fee is going to come back to the vehicle. And that's really the I put the problem that we're trying to solve in, the, in a nutshell. It is, you know, back in 1919, I think is when our fuel tax got passed. That really was a usage fee because all the vehicles were the same. Uh, I think it was Ford, right, who was creating all those vehicles. And so if you drove a mile, it kind of was a mile of fuel or fuel tax you would pay. Given that that's not true anymore with our vehicles being quite different out there, what's going to happen is reestablish, we need to reestablish that link between use and payment. So it's the distance that you're traveling, not um, your contribution to the roads and bridges should not be based on what kind of car you drive. So getting to the point, or at least not at least not the yeah. the fuel efficiency of the vehicle. Perhaps it should be tied to the type of vehicle you drive because the type of vehicle may have a different impact on the road. Very and true. But that no, may or may you. not be a connection to how much fuel the vehicle consumes. So I think, and that comment right there, Ian, is one reason why this is such an important discussion to have, like under a big spotlight, mm -hmm. because the way we've been funding transportation has kind of been this hundred year old system, but that system isn't working. So it's important for us to not just replace it um, kind of a one-to-one. -one. So right. I think we should challenge ourselves and say, okay, what, how do we want to have people pay for the system they're using? Should there be um, a different contribution if you're driving an electric vehicle 
versus um, a larger vehicle? Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important question for us to ask, which we have not asked ourselves that hard question. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of other policy opportunities, whether they're the right thing or wrong thing to do is for other people to decide, right? right. <laughs> but those right. questions of, you know, um, does the type of vehicle you're driving play into how we fund it? Does the time of day you choose to use the network play into what you should pay for it? You know, is the purpose of driving to the degree you can verify the purpose, right? Is it a critical trip that has to be made or are you choosing to make this trip at any given time? Um, it, it makes it a lot more complex than just how much fuel you're consuming. So tell me about the, you know, you are actually doing a project vis-a-vis -vis this grant to try to unpack some of those issues. So tell us more about the actual project that the coalition is engaged in. So the fortunate thing is I can say projects. So we have a pretty Even good better. batting average right now. Um, so there's been six rounds of grants that have been awarded and we have been awarded um, in all six rounds. So that is great news. And I think the reason why that's happened is, again, the range of operating environments, the range of political environments, the range of just the, the nature of how goods and people move in this region really is an important place to test out the feasibility of shifting from a fuel mm -hmm. tax or distance-based approach. So what we've done so far in the first four phases is where we are in kind of that six uh, grant reality is we have started the conversation on the East Coast. And I know that sounds um, trite and I don't mean it to. There's been a lot of great work on distance-based fees out West, um, some leadership obviously in Oregon being the yeah. first um, actual live and mileage-based usage fee, or they call it road user charge right. uh, program in the country, some great leadership by Washington. And now we have Utah that has another voluntary program. So I mean, I, I lived out West, it was lovely, but they're larger Western states. So how do we, again, bring that Eastern perspective and having the grants kind of lowered the temperature to enter into this uh, pool for mm -hmm. <laughs> extending that uh, analogy there a little bit. Sure. So we engaged with some leadership um, in Pennsylvania and Delaware to basically do real world demonstration pilots. So we get people to put devices in their cars, or send in uh, odometer data to get a sense for what this would really feel like and be in the real mm -hmm. world. And that has been so incredibly important to move from this theory of a distance-based fee to actually experiencing it yourself. Right. So we engaged some key stakeholders in that kind of first round. And then our second round, we expanded to bring in the general public and also get the motor carrier industry at the table. Mm. And Again, they are heavy users and heavy payers of the system. And they're heavily you know, invested in making sure that their office, which is the roads out there, stay in good condition. But they don't wanna be the only ones that are footing the bill. And right. I think that is, is reasonable. And you know, I think there's many ways that AMVA and the coalition, I think that we are um, of similar mindset. Like you all get that trucks are not big cars, that how you, um, their credentialing is different, their licensing mm -hmm. is different. And right. I think really bringing that difference forward in this discussion about funding is important. So we've kind of expanded the number of states that are engaged in these real world pilots. We're looking at equity questions. Um, what would this mean for rural communities, for lower income household communities? 
And a lot of the work, honestly, has been on um, education and trying mm-hmm. to explain what this thing is. And in doing that, especially when you talk about reaching out to the general public and the motor carriers, you know, generally speaking, are you finding a willingness to jump in and participate in a pilot? Has it been a struggle to get people to say, I get it and I'll try something different? Where has where that temperature been? You know, there's kind of a consistent pattern. Um, it starts out with, uh, um, no, I do not want to do that. <laughs> it starts, starts with no. It starts with no. That's a good um, that negotiation. Like a horrible idea. Um, that sounds like, you know, government tracking me in my car. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, why do you already have all this money? The roads seem pretty good. What's the problem here? There is no problem here. Go away. And then when you extend that conversation to explain what they're paying today and the fuel tax and mm-hmm. also explain that what, quite frankly, what a mileage-based or a distance-based fee is and how, um, let me say it this way, we call it the tale of two cars. Hmm. <laughs> um, maybe it's the English major in me coming out. <laughs> so I have really old cars. Um, my oldest one is over 20 years old. We call her Old Bessie. And my neighbor just got a new fancy hybrid. So we are, we both have families with two kids Mm -hmm. and we drive around, but I'm paying a lot more for each mile that I drive and old Bessie. So is that fair? And when you explain that this link between use and payment is broken, that's when people start saying, okay, well, they get more curious. I'm not going to say they are like, let's do it. Right. But then that's when you get the questions about, well, how would this work? And you say, great question, sign up for a pilot. And then they do. And they're like, oh, this is not, you know, Ian riding around next to me in the car tracking me. This is data that's being sent to um, a private company, typically a vendor, and actually get these cool information about my car. Had no idea that I could find out my battery health of my vehicle. And it, it moves the conversation forward. This real world interaction has just been really, really critical. Yeah. So as it relates though, to the pilot and collecting those fees, uh, one of the challenges that often comes up is how do you make sure the right state gets their share of the money? Right. It's like you said, if it ties back to the vehicle, the vehicle is owned and registered in a particular state, but they may be driving on roads and bridges in another state, especially again, using your example of this north of the of the eastern corridor from top to bottom where you've got more interstate travel than maybe other parts of the country. Uh, Using your example of Maryland and Virginia, even though you might be blowing those tolls in Virginia, (laughs) you're still driving those miles in Virginia. Uh, How does if if it's the if your vehicle is a Maryland vehicle, how does Maryland make sure it collects that money and gets their fair share to Virginia, to Pennsylvania, to D.C., all those places that your Maryland vehicle might have traveled? So I feel like for the record, I should say that I actually do pay my Virginia toll. So we should just clear the air on that one. You're, a, um, you're an easy toll. pass transponder carrier and everything is legit. I am. <laughs> I am. Um, and actually, I think the easy pass transponder is a great um, uh, segue or, or to, to the question, which is how would, how would we process a distance-based fee across multiple states? Mm-hmm. And the good news is we have some, some solid experience from the tolling industry of having a clearinghouse, of having interoperability, 
we still have some challenges as mm -hmm. beginning of our discussion we talked about with reciprocity. So I'm not saying that we figured it all out, but we're not starting from, you know, basically the beginning. Right. And we also have switching to the motor carrier industry. We have some national approaches. So we have the international fuel taxation agreement, which I know Amba mm -hmm. is very familiar with, as well as the international um, registration plan. Get my That's IRP right. there. That's right. So I think those national programs are really great frameworks for how we could um, implement a, a an MBUF on a national scale. Mm -hmm. But Ian, I have to say, it's going to come back to that VIN. Yeah. And it comes back to the DMV. And I was very grateful to be part of your annual meeting last summer when we had a roundtable and, mm -hmm. you know, talked to several of your members and basically were there to say, you know, what are your questions? And there's a lot of concern, I think, for DMVs with this um, potential shift, which could mean a lot more work on the DMVs. So I think engaging with you and your membership to figure out what are the concerns and what are the expectations going to be, I think is, is really important conversation we need to continue. And I look to you all as an expert on how do we also handle data privacy? Mm -hmm. Like you figured this out when we have to share uh, records across state lines. So looking to the expertise of the murder, um, you know, the vehicle administrations, that is just going to be, I think, really critical as we t uh, tentatively, I would say, go down this this path towards a distance-based fee. Yeah. And, you know, the, the additional workload is an interesting one because even the states that are early adopters, we're seeing different models. There are some states where it is more outsourced, if you will, and it's simply getting data from the DMV. And there are others where the DMV is very much being looked to as the one to manage and administer the entire program. And then, of course, all variations in between. No, very, very true. And what I think that means is we are still figuring this out. And again, you know, back to the theme of bringing the motor vehicle departments to the table in the beginning, I, I think you all should help define what that future is. So that is, again, you know, we have a long history together, which I, I don't, I had to get reminded of this, um, that our organizations have been working together, like back since the early, you know, 2000s. And it, it's this um, similar idea that we have to make sure that the doers of policy, that the doers of making a difference out there are part of the creation of what that policy is. So. Uh, let me kind of get to the example, which I thought was, uh, I was glad that I got reminded about this, which was working with New York, kind of having this one-stop shop for credentialing for truckers. And I looked it up and it's still in existence. It's called Oscar. And that's is an example of, you know, I think with our organizations working together, the DOTs and the DMVs working together is we can make, you know, everybody's lives easy, easier make the truckers' lives easier in this case by having um, a simpler place to go to really fulfill the registration and licensing requirements. And, you know, I know going down the, the AMVA um, path here for a minute, uh, I think you guys just celebrated a 90th birthday. Is that right? It, we are. To, 2023 is our 90th year. So we've just recently kicked off uh, celebrating that milestone. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And um I think you were asked at the beginning, Ian, like who we are. And a lot of times 
people don't know who the coalition is and I'm not saying people don't know who AMVA is. I know they do much more, but I think the, the important role of the motor vehicle departments, I think is not known um, out there as much as I think it should. So I guess that's part of, I feel like my mission is to yeah. put a spotlight on that. And yesterday, my oldest daughter just turned 13. Oh my goodness. I have a teenager. Mm. <laughs> Welcome and- aboard. I know I'm somewhat, she's lovely, um, but still, you know, there's going to be changes coming. And I also started thinking about her license. Sure. And what came to mind is, I believe if I'm saying this correctly, that AMVA is a reason why we have graduated license that to keep my daughter safe. So I get to say, thank you. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a fair, fair statement. And I think, um, it's definitely the AMVA members who got together and realized, you know, how do we make novice drivers better prepared, more safe on, on the road. Um, and being in the midst of it myself with my two teenagers, both who currently have permits. Um, oh my goodness. It's, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That'll be another podcast for another day. I'll give you all those <laughs> advice. Your, your point, Trish, about awareness is a valid one. Cause what we hear, uh, quite regularly is right. Oh, what's the DMV? They do driver licensing and you get your title registered and and get a title and a registration for your vehicle and that's it. Uh, And then when you dig into it, it is so much more the breadth of the portfolio and the responsibilities um, is already so much more enormous than what most of the public realize. And now the contemplation of adding this new piece of managing part of the transportation finance world that really hasn't been a key part of DMVs for many years. It's been more on the, you know, DOT side of the house. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting journey. So I think a good way to start wrapping up is what is going to be the next step in in this journey? It kind of, you know, you talking about the history. Uh, it's not, it's hard to say that it's a new conversation anymore. We've been talking about the trust fund going broke for nearly two decades now. Um, you know, it's almost, you know, to use, I think an apt metaphor, uh, like when your car runs out of gas and you get those few extra miles and you, you run on fumes a little longer than you thought you'd be able to run on the fumes. We continue to run on the fumes longer than I think anybody thought we'd be able to on the gas tax. And it's, that's good because it's bought us time we've needed to figure it out. But that, that cliff is coming, um, perhaps maybe not as soon as some of the stark emergency warnings were, but it's certainly not going away. So what's what's the next step from the quarter coalition's point of view? You know, I feel like part of our job is myth busting. And again, I'm, I'm grateful to Congress for the grant programs that they had in the FAST Act and that they have now in the most recent infrastructure bill to keep these state pilots going and to have a national pilot. Mm-hmm. And on the state pilots, I think a real focus of ours has been, and not just the coalition, this is other grant awardees around the country, is getting past that gut reaction no, and trying to move the conversation forward by bringing some data into the dialogue, heaven forbid, right, um, about that in rural communities, they may actually fare better in a distance-based approach compared to a fuel tax approach. And then people scratch their head and we're like, well, right now, uh, on average, a lot of those vehicles in those areas are older, more fuel inefficient. So that right now they're paying more um, than maybe they realize compared to some of their urban counterparts. So addressing some myth bustings about that, about privacy concerns, and probably really importantly, especially right now with the current administration, 
is that a distance-based fee is not in conflict with EV adoption. Hmm. And again, you might scratch your head and be like, what are you talking about, Trish, right? <laughs> if EVs are not paying a fuel tax now, so if we ask them to pay to use the roads, won't that um, hurt their or, or change their opinion of, of deciding to buy that fuel? We incentivize them. It takes away one of those incentives of, you know, I can do this and pay less. Exactly. And what we're seeing out there with EV sales is that is definitely not true. If you look at the states that have an EV fee compared to those that um, do not, they're, they're all over 300 plus percent growth in the last couple of years. So there's no real uh, difference. Yeah. And I think it's important to look back at the motivation for buying an EV for a lot of those owners. Quite frankly, they're saving on uh, fuel, on gas that they're not buying. And that's a really big you know, uh, monetary or cost of moving a vehicle. There's also the environmental reasons. It's a big yeah. motivation. You know, Surveys from AAA are finding that's, that's a top reason that people are buying EVs. So to get your, you know, answer your question, I think the work we need to do as a group of states and DMVs, I'm including you guys in this, is how do we kind of get through some of the myths about this potential way of funding the, our transportation system in the future? We do that through more pilots, through education and outreach. Uh, eventually, we are going to need legislation, and we're seeing more and more legislation getting introduced. Most of that is voluntary. Hmm. So I bring that up because that's going to have a you know a slower growth for some of the DMVs to be um, playing a role here in this. But eventually, we're going to go from voluntary to mandatory. So again, the importance of having the DMVs at the table from the beginning to talk through what that scale would mean, yep. what role do you want, what role do you not want in this <laughs> potential future. And it goes back down to that VIN. Like if we need to distinguish between an EV and another um, you know, internal combustion engine, some of those VINs are not really helping us out right now. So right. how do we work together um, to understand the vehicles that are out there and again, my real desire is to have that future not be sprung upon the DMVs and you're responsible to implement something, I want you to be at the table with us and with others to define what that future would be best um, designed for you all. Excellent. Well, Trish, uh, I, we know we've barely scratched the surface on this because it's a huge topic, uh, but I appreciate you spending some time today to start laying it out, making folks aware of the coalition. Uh, if folks want to get more information on the work you're doing and about the coalition itself, where best they look for that? Um, so come to our website and I'm going to quickly look it up, make sure I get the, the web address correct. So it's www.tet, so the Eastern Transportation Coalition, tetcoalition.org. Um, we're also on LinkedIn. Welcome folks to follow us on LinkedIn as a way to kind of stay abreast of what we're doing and um, take take a visit. So thank you. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks, Trish. Thanks for the time. Thank you all for listening this week. As always, thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.